0: Life in Sense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette Welcome to Life in Sense, I'm Joe Barrett In this episode we chat to Martin Ware one of the leading figures in electronic music Martin was a founding member of both the Human League and Heaven 17 and as a record producer and artist has featured on recordings totaling over 50 million sales worldwide If,
1: if I was blind... I think the world of
0: smell would be more important to me than the world of sound, to be honest. Odette Toilette and I joined Martin, who has an active interest in all the senses, to talk about his smell memories. He began by telling us about his childhood growing up in the north of England.
1: I grew up in Sheffield in quite a poor environment, like a two-up, two-down house. The smells I remember from that period were largely to do with industry, really, I suppose. They just brought the clean air act in then, so it wasn't quite as bad as it used to be. But um, the smell of industrial plants, but also kind of when I went to see my dad in his workplace, the smell of grinding metal, because he was a grinder.
0: These things which are kind of lost in your memory, or are there things which you come across which which take you back there?
1: Well, I'm always back in Sheffield anyway. I think I probably visit Sheffield once a fortnight throughout the year. So I'm, I'm constantly um, reminded of them by... Well, it's all interlinked in a kind of synesthetic way between the people, the places, the the smells, the sounds. The other big thing is, you know, Sheffield um, has probably one of the highest, if not the highest, percentage of kind of parkland and green space for a city anywhere in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And people don't realise this because obviously the bits they see from the M1 are generally kind of the post-industrial bits. A very indicative smell to me was the idea of the oasis in the city because we didn't have very much money so like parks were a big thing to us you know going to the local parks and out into Derbyshire which was the, all the bus fares were 2p each when I was growing up it was a socialist council it was like you ch- literally chuck 2p in a bucket when you went on the bus it was like a funnel and for that you could get into the most beautiful you know, into the peak district basically and so the smell of you know mown grass the smell of Everything associated with the countryside was a vastly important thing to us, and a relief from the opposite you know when I was young, I used to go to, the, um, to a park near, near where I used to live um, called Crooks Valley Park, and there used to be a bowling green there, and there was a bowling pavilion where they used to store all the all, all, all the you know the wooden bowls and and these bowls were decades old. So the whole place smelt of old wood and uh, and it was just symbolic of a happy time I had with my father who worked his socks off in the steel industry and had one day off and his greatest joy was taking his children out. So it was like this little bit of peace and calm and quiet in this otherwise extremely horrible world that he used to live in and and it was like that. that's the bonding thing, right? Uh, I'm very fond of that smell, the smell of old wood, that's probably as much why I like libraries and such, and old libraries. Meat and potato pie with Henderson's Relish, which is a particular um, condiment that's made in Sheffield and is revered by everybody who comes from Sheffield. If you ever meet anybody from Sheffield, ask them about Henderson's Relish. It's legendary. It's kind of like a Liam Perrins kind of deal, you know, but better. And they they make it in the It's the most, and we're talking about smell, God. I actually was lucky enough, one of my friends, Simon Webster, who's a fellow Sheffield Wednesday fan, turned out to be head of marketing for Henderson's Relish. So um, there's this mysterious building that was always kind of like half a mile from where I lived in Sheffield, which nobody had ever been in or knew anybody who'd ever been in or worked in. And then all of a sudden he said, oh, do you want to come down and have a look around it? You know, and I'm going, oh, this is the smell. I mean, he smelt, because he was working there a lot, and uh, and uh, it's been like somebody who works with fish, I suppose. He smelt, and his car smelt of Henderson's relish all the time. And this is an incredible concoction of uh, garlic and tamarins and very sharp kind of acidic stuff and, uh, oh, God, all sorts, you know, caramel and... Incredible stuff, really, and that is is such an indicative thing about Sheffield.
0: So was this like the Willy Wonka of England? (laughs) (laughs) You were Charlie Bucket. That's
1: right, except it was like something out of Victorian times. I mean, quite unbelievable. I'd got this idea that it was a bit like Willy Wonka, this mysterious thing. No, it was like industrial vats of, you know, kind of tamarind powder and uh, still kind of almost like a semi-hand bottling plant. And they still managed to turn out like five thousand bottles a week or something incredible just an incredible um the only thing I can relate it to that I've ever experienced is uh I was lucky enough to go to the Caribbean and I went to an old rum distillery which was still using like water powered uh, wheels and the place was just covered in cobwebs with all these exotic spiders and and at the end of the tour you get to taste like the overproof rum and and it was really extremely uh, old and old-fashioned. There are only about four people working there and it was a bit like that from a sensory point of view. And is it, is it gone? Henson's Relish, no. It's, they were always talking about relocating and getting a new factory and uh, it's never happened and it's still in this old run-down building. It's amazing. I mean, it really is like walking into a time machine, going to the past. Growing up was it was quite interesting cause we didn't have any family holidays because we couldn't afford them so there was like a works out in once a year, which was like the seaside. Uh, so I've always been very fond of the smell of the sea because to me it was incredibly exotic. It wasn't like some you know, my children grow up and they did more traveling in the first two years of their life than I did until I was about 23 I think. They think the smell of different environments is totally normal to me going to the sea was a complete uh, multisensory astonishment you know I just couldn't believe how it smelled how it felt Uh, it was a sense of excitement as well because she had a little bit of spending money from the works uh, collections and and uh, it was all associated with happiness and so the sea has always symbolized happiness for me and I've always loved in fact I will end up living probably in Brighton I should imagine if we stay in Britain. I moved away from Sheffield in 1981 to live in London. So, like, the smell of London is very much that kind of generic diesel. (laughs) It always makes me laugh. I've lived part of the year in Venice. Um, I've got an apartment in Venice uh, for the last 20 years, and people always say, oh, it it smells, doesn't it, Venice? I'm going, well, have you actually considered what Oxford Street smells like? Or, um, you know, Baker Street, which is the most polluted Junction, that and uh, Baker Street and Marylebone Road is the most polluted junction in Britain, officially. Have you cons- do you regard that as normal? Is that the baseline? Is that the default now? You know, this um, overloaded kind of uh, diesel and, and petrol uh, exhaust fuel. Is that it? No, well, if that's what it is, then yes, I suppose it does smell. Because it smells of, uh, occasionally of natural decay, but mainly uh, like a very clean seaside town. And if that's somehow meant to be uh, worse than <laughs> the center of a city, then I'm living on the wrong planet. The one particularly amazing thing was the first time I ever visited New York, I think, which was when I was, at the first time I ever went with the human league, it was early in the human league, it was 78, so I suppose when I was, how old was I then? 22. And the, the first time I've been in a totally alien environment, really, I suppose, where, It was at the height of summer so it was extremely humid but also that kind of cinnamony smell uh, and and the smell of kind of street food in 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 the center of mixed with the heat and the humidity and the just, just and and the smell of traffic as well just an incredible experience to me that that opened my eyes considerably of course since then i've traveled the world and it's getting more and more difficult to be astonished by olfactory environments, but uh, that that was certainly a
0: significant thing for me. Would you say that the world is becoming less distinct? Places are becoming less oh, distinctive. Yeah. Absolutely. As as the
1: world becomes more populated and urban sprawl is more common, it's incredibly homogenising in cities, which were which uh, still exist, believe it or not, in a lot of places. Although again, the whole world has become much more anodyne and and I realize now I'm speaking it, I, although on one level it's nice not to have any, to have cleaner environments in many other ways, it's a pity because we're losing the character of everyday life, aren't we? It, it actually makes us all poorer in the end because there's less olfactory diversity. You know, I fear that a, a new generation, not all, but a, a lot of the the new, newer generation just have a general term of, anything that's not kind of clean smelling and I I think that's a real pity because they're missing out on a lot of interesting stuff. Eleanor is extremely, my 16 year old daughter, is extremely connected to the world of smell. I mean to the extent for instance the other day somebody had left a scarf in her school and left it in the classroom uh, It fell on the floor or something. And within seconds, she'd identified whose it was through the smell of it. Um, Because she knows the smell of each one of her classmates, and there's 30 in her class. I mean, I think that's amazing, isn't it? I I do that, actually. (laughs) Really? Yeah, well, I think that's great. And I think... Do you know what I think? I think people need to be... They need it pointed out to them that they have this capacity. It's like any kind of... Any part of your brain, if you exercise it enough, you will, will get, you know, my sense of, for instance, my sense of oral acuity is amazing. now. I can actually, in any given environment, probably analyse it from a, a, a spectral point of view uh, in terms of what frequencies are happening where and in what direction and how far away. And having worked a lot with Cicel Talas, I mean, she has a similar kind of acuity for smell. Obviously, because it's what she does day in day out. Simple as that. I love Italy in general, and you know, I remember the first time I went to stay in um, in Sicily and the, and the lemon groves. Uh, you know, just the most amazing sense. You can you, you just couldn't believe that this was a natural environment, an environment that could be so potent. smell. It's like walking through lavender fields or, uh, you know, in the Algarve or whatever it is. Another fantastic olfactory experience was going to the Aeolian Islands and Volcano, which of course is, you know, volcanic gas, which is an entirely different thing. But the combination of physical, visual beauty and extreme pungency, it it was something that was really exciting. In fact, you know, when you bathed in the, in the hot, waters with the volcanic bubbles coming up and floating on the surface and impossible to get rid of the smell for like two weeks afterwards, no matter how many times you shower, it was just there in your skin and uh, it just made me consider how inured to, to natural smell we've become.
0: Was this the smell of sulphur?
1: Sulphur dioxide, yeah. Very extreme. It's incredible. It's, it's like a wall of, of smell. So, yeah, that was quite interesting. I had to throw all the clothes that I was wearing at that particular holiday away as well, but um, quite interesting. My my uh, 16-year-old daughter, Ellen, and my 13-year-old son, Gabriel, they're very, they've are very got quite liberal um, eating habits because we've grown up, in, as I say, part of the time in Italy, but they cannot relate to truffles at all. To them, it smells like the worst thing on earth. And uh, to me, it's di- you know not divine, but it's you know it's 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 fantastic. You know, it's just maybe it's just uh, more of an adult thing. I'm not sure. That's quite interesting how our sense of smell changes as we as we uh, get older, or maybe how we categorise smell in our own minds as we get older. When uh, when I first bought my apartment in Venice, it was kind of fitted out by this guy who was um, owned a furniture factory, and he said, "Oh, I'm going to take you to the." best restaurant you're ever likely to go to. And it was actually um, like the equivalent of a kind of builder's calf on the motorway. And it's got nice linen tablecloth, a little flower in the middle. And they're saying that look, lorry drivers will not stop anywhere unless the food is bang on. You know, they just won't stop there. It's the opposite of Britain, really. And, and it had on this little, they only had like three dishes for each course. And one of the dishes was um, tagliolini with uh, white truffles. And it was quite reasonably priced, considering how expensive the truffles were, so to say. And they actually brought you a big white truffle to the table, and you shaved your own truffle over the top. I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe. It was so, it was like a pure perfume to me. You know, it was like, it was like, but but very subtle. I, I don't know, I can't think of anything that embodies the idea of being subtle and strong at the same time. Check and speak number one, I'm very fond of. I've read since that it's, a, it's an Elizabethan formula, which is probably God knows what that means I don't know maybe I'm a reborn soul or it's like an ancestral memory or something I don't know Can you maybe describe what it what it smells like It's very flowery, but there's a kind of de- i mean it's quite expensive it's quite it's got a lot of i don't know well what it reminds is got a kind of m kind of old and musty in this kind of it just doesn't smell like contemporary synthetic perfumes at all. I mean, I detest most contemporary perfumes. I only ever, ever buy for myself perfumes that contain, well, the majority of the ingredients are natural. I, I, I can't bear heavily commercialized standard perfumes. I mean, I have, I have worn them in the past, but, you know, at a younger age. But now, I go for the really expensive stuff, unfortunately. I always try to change my perfume from about the age of 21, like every year or so. So I could associate a perfume with a particular year. I mean, not specifically on January the 1st that changed, but I can associate certain perfumes with certain year or 18 month periods. You know, Armani Mm. for instance, is 83 or something or, you know, in fact, unfortunately, I associate Kuros with uh, like 84 because I used to have to travel in a car with Glen, who used to literally use a bottle a week, I think. I hated it. Uh, but personally I've always gone for those kind of more natural things. Like lavender based stuff I really like. And um orange blossom. Prada orange blossom perfume's amazing. Can't get it anymore. I think they stopped doing it.
0: If if I were to say nineteen eighty seven, what perfume was that?
1: Yes. Would you Uh I'd say that's um grey flannel. Nineteen ninety four. Nineteen ninety
0: four.
1: I think I was in my um I was in my aqua de palma phase then.
0: And 2011?
1: Ah, good question. Currently wearing uh, Bleu de Chanel, but I don't, it's only a bit of a standby, really.
0: With the check and speak, what I'm interested in is that you you said what perfumes you're interested in, and I think until recently, this is to generalise, but guys might not have felt comfortable saying perfume. It was always aftershave or splash. No, but no, no. I've, I've
1: always been interested in perfume. Maybe I'm unusual, but I, I, I had two, two older sisters. You see, so I was always fascinated with. So th- to me, that always symbolised some unimaginably glamorous world. You know. I'm, I'm very, very interested in the, um, in 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 the classic perfumiers. Like Caron and and um, Guerlain and all that stuff. I, I, I just think there are some amazing things going on there. And what I'd, you know, if money was no object, I'd I'd just get a perfume made for me. They embodied all the, but it's too expensive. In my experience of doing kind of multi sensory installations over the last ten years, I've come to realise that I, I believe now that we that everybody's synesthetic in some shape or form and it's a kind of grayscale of acknowledgement within oneself as to it's obviously a massive research um, issue that's not really been explored properly yet. As as a as a kind of consultant, if I was uh, saying to people you know you, you, if you want to create a, an immersive environment then it, it smell is essential I think I, I, I mean I, I think that's the future
0: You have been listening to Martin Ware's Life in Sense. Listen to all our previous episodes at LifeIncense.com Life Incense with Joe Barrett and Odette Toilette